The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. Jesus went away from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get all this? What is the wisdom given to him? What mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? They're not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. He called to him the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Where you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. And if any place will not receive you, and they refuse to hear you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet for a testimony against them. So they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord God, I pray that you would come and be among us now. The words which I speak would be your words. We pray, God, that you would take all of the things that distract us from hearing your word. The things that are running through our minds, the things, the baggage that we brought into this place tonight. Then we would check that with you and allow you, Lord, to forgive us and to heal us and now to teach us. We pray, God, that we would see you for who you really are and would be given the grace to submit to you in truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My, what a good crowd. So glad to see you here tonight. When Jesus' reputation had been growing... Uh, they didn't have uh, blogs and cell phones and, and that sort of thing, but uh, hit, word had spread throughout uh, the Galilean countryside, uh, no doubt. Uh, this man had, um, had already, we were in chapter 6 uh, of the, the Gospel of Mark, we already see that, that uh, Jesus has uh, healed sick people, he has cast out demons, uh, he even spoke to a storm and told it to be still, and it was. I don't know if we can get our heads around the terror of seeing a man speak to a storm 
and having it obey him. And I can be sure uh, that the disciples couldn't get their heads around either. Uh, Couldn't get their heads around it either, even though they had been there to witness it. And what we uh, see Jesus, it said Jesus came from there. Where he has come from is, is where we had our gospel passage last week where Jesus has just healed a woman who has had a, a bloody discharge for 12 years and no physician uh, could heal her and yet she just touched the hem of his garment and, and she was healed. And not only that, but Jesus had reached down into death and whoopsie-daisy brought a little girl back up into life. They didn't have uh, cell phone cameras. None of this was... Uh, It was all just hearsay. And you can understand why, uh, if you think about that, that that this is taking on sort of mythic proportions. And yet Jesus, his fame had had grown. and His his, uh, word of his deeds and his mighty works had spread. And, And here is the local boy made good. And he has come home, probably amid much fanfare. And uh, he comes to the synagogue where he uh, was raised among people that uh, saw him play uh, Little League and, and take the part in the, of the frog in the school play. And, um, and he is uh, invited uh, to teach. Now it's interesting, isn't it, that the burden that Mark has is not to tell us anything Uh, that Jesus taught. I would have loved to have heard that. But all we know about what he taught is that there was astonishment. You can just imagine when he sort of folds up the scroll at the end of his teaching, just sort of mouths agape, silence. You can hear a pin drop in the stone walls of the synagogue. And somebody says, where did a carpenter learn to teach like that? And it was a good question. Because carpenters went to carpenter school and rabbis went to rabbi school. Carpenters didn't go to rabbi school. He was one of us. Just a blue-collar guy? I can't do that. Where did he learn to do that? And all of a sudden, this sort of avalanche of skepticism falls down as they say, they call out, where did this man get all of this? What wisdom is given to him? What mighty works are wrought by his hands? Now, the RSV translate this, with an exclamation point, but lots of translations give it a question mark. Not what mighty works are wrought by his hands, but what mighty works are wrought by his hands. I wasn't there. I didn't see any storm be calmed. That girl probably was just asleep. And then then it gets derogatory. And reading uh, in our culture, in our context, we can miss this. But have you ever, in all of your reading of Scripture, have you ever seen a man be named as the son of a woman? 
I can't think of one. I know that in a couple of genealogies there are some women mentioned, but but the vast majority, and the way that you identified a, a man was he was the son of his father. Who was the son of his father, the son of his father. Jesus is the son of Mary, the carpenter, the blue-collar, menial worker. We know, we remember that story. They were engaged and she turned out pregnant. Isn't this that kid? Much less that we know his rowdy brothers too. We remember their antics. The kid born out of wedlock, he was always so perfect. This avalanche criticism. They took offense at him. The word uh, in Greek for they took offense is skandalizo. They were scandalized by him. They, uh, they literally they turned their back upon him. If you can think about some issue uh, in uh, that you have, that has bothered you, and you have sort of intentionally turned uh, your back on it, on uh, participation. Maybe it was bullying in the schoolyard, or it was. Uh, poverty and the sh- shadow of wealth, and you, you, you've intentionally turned away. It, it, you took offense at it. They knew this family. They probably sat on chairs that he had made. He was a carpenter, not a rabbi. See, Jesus was not who they thought He should be. He was not who they thought He was. He was not fitting uh, their expectations. He wasn't who they thought that He should be and they refused to believe who He really was. What mighty works are wrought by His hands? Now we do that we may, uh, we may do it doctrinally. There are certainly people who um, read Scripture and say that Jesus is something other than what Scripture attests to. But even if we don't do that, uh, we, what we do is we do this practically. We may attest that Jesus is one thing, but the way that uh, we live our lives is, uh, says that we believe He is something else. Now, I, uh, I stand up here and I teach that uh, Jesus isn't merely a moral example, but uh, He's a Savior. And yet, I often catch myself uh, living as if uh, my salvation depends on me, and I have to work harder and harder because I haven't lived up to His moral example. Uh, and that's just one of really countless examples that I could give you in my own life. Where Jesus isn't who I really want Him to be. He's more or He's less than what I need at the moment. I want Jesus to to work. You know, I want Him to fix the thing in my life. I want Him to reward me for my good behavior if He could find any. And it says... 
a really challenging little thing about these people who refused to believe who they who Jesus clearly was, but he, that that didn't fit into their box. It says it says that he could do no mighty work there. That's challenging. What do you mean he could do no mighty work? He was Jesus. I think given the context of Scripture, we can't take this to mean that he was unable to do any mighty work as if he were bound uh, to some power higher than himself. We need to take this verse, like, like every verse, in the context that it sits and in the context of Scripture itself. It doesn't mean that he was unable. But I think that it does mean that he, there was nothing that he would have been able to do that would have convinced them. They refused to believe who he was. He could do no mighty work there. Let me ask, has God done a mighty work in your life? Maybe the answer is yes. Maybe the answer is no. Maybe you've been trying to live up to the example and be good and go to church. God has not done a mighty work in your life. And I don't, I don't mean like a miraculous healing necessarily. Sometimes those happen and I praise God for them. But I think we each need to take a look at our lives and say... Who does the way that we live our life say that Jesus, that we really believe Jesus is? Who does the way that we live our life say that we believe Jesus really is? Does it match our doctrine? Does it say that? Does it say that um, that He is our He is our Savior? Does our life say that our religion is not based on what we do, but what He has already done? For us on the cross and in the empty tomb. There's an important word in that verse. Verse 6, I believe. No, verse 5, excuse me. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. Now, don't tell those sick people that that wasn't a mighty work. And I can't tell you how I long to lay my hands on sick people and see them healed. That didn't happen very often. There is an incredible contrast between those who refuse to believe who Jesus really is because he doesn't uh, fit in their box. He's not who they wish him to be. Uh, they've made God essentially in their own image, and if he can't do it, then neither can they. There's an incredible contrast between those folks and those who come and, and show themselves to be sick and show themselves to be vulnerable and show themselves to be in need of healing, who can't do it on their own and need a Savior. I was looking at, um, as I was writing this sermon, um, it was not too long ago. I just got back from vacation uh, yesterday. Um, I was writing this sermon, and I was sitting at my desk in my office, and, and I looked, um, I happened to look up, I was right at this part, and I looked up at uh, 
picture of my family. And we're, you know, we're like any other family, and I've got, we've got parental issues and relationship issues, and, and, um, and there's a particular issue in our family. Uh, we're, we're fine, but, but there's, just because we're like everybody else, there's, there's, uh, there's issues. And, um, and I realize that there's a particular issue that's been tugging on my heart, and I've been acting like, I've got to save this thing. I haven't been taking it to the Lord in prayer. The way that I've been living uh, my life has not been matching with my doctrine that Jesus is the Savior. I'm banging my head against the wall. So ask me next week, this week, uh, if I've been taking it to the Lord in prayer. And I ask you to pray for us. I want to just conclude by drawing your attention to our passage from 2 Corinthians. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. Andrew spelled that out very well in a very good sermon this morning. Jesus' response to to Paul was, My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Friends, let us bring to Jesus our weakness, our need of healing, and let Him be the Savior He is. Amen. Amen.